You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee from Acumen Law. I'm I'm Paul Doroshenko from Acumen Law. Oh, you can introduce yourself. Why not? You're just bullish there. No, it's not. um, It's just, you know, I decided to jump in. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I am enthusiastic. I enjoy doing the podcast. I was in in, uh, Colwood today. Uh, I had three matters there and, um, two of the officers there listened to the podcast. So shout out to all the traffic officers in British Columbia who listen to the podcast. You didn't tell me that after we're done recording. I want to know who. Very nice officers. I, I dealt with out there today. Okay. Is it the one I'm thinking of? I, I probably not, but maybe I didn't discuss it with everyone. Okay. I only Fair discussed enough. it with two of the three officers I was with whom I was dealing today. Okay, understood. Well, speaking of none of what you've just said. Well, driving. Well, speaking of driving law. Speaking of driving law. There's a development in driving law. Let's talk about something that has nothing to do with driving, which is waterways. Oh, my goodness. Boating. Vessel. Vessel. A wessel. So we talked a little while ago about how there's a case in Ontario that's going to decide whether or not a canoe is a vessel within the meaning of the criminal code and whether or not you can get an impaired charge in a canoe. I was deeply concerned that this was going to be decided in Ontario. There's too many canoeists. Of course There's too many lakes. There's too many, like if it was decided in Saskatchewan or something like that, they would have gone the other way. I'm, I'm more like, of course it's decided in Ontario. There's lots of lakes. There's lots of canoes. And literally everywhere else in Canada is like, meh. Yeah. Canoeers going to do what canoeers going to do. Well, that's the thing. Like canoe versus power boat, no. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. You can do a lot of damage with a power boat. You can't really do that much damage with a canoe unless you're in it. It's hard, hard to do damage to something with a canoe. You can kill yourself. You might kill your passengers. Yes, which is what happened in this case. Yeah, but I mean. Tragic. But the. But you got in a canoe with a drunk dude. Well, that's a thing. And right. you're thinking like, to yourself, like, like you're probably all like, you know, I just keep thinking if I got in a canoe with all my drunken friends and decided to drunken get in my canoe with my drunken friends and one of my drunken friends then capsized the canoe, I kind of would feel like, you know, I had accepted that risk. It wasn't yeah. a, like, I wouldn't expect any criminal consequence from that. I know. Like getting in a car is easy. You open the door and you sit your ass down, but getting in a canoe. Well, in the randomness of a canoe, like things go wrong in a canoe uh, and you can be perfectly sober. And like, I've got the world's tippiest canoe. My brother refuses to get into it. He calls it, you know, Tippy the Canoe, the world's tippiest canoe. It's a long name for a canoe, really. Tippy the Canoe, the world's tippiest canoe. But it's... Do you have that like written on the side of the canoe? uh, It was originally written on the side of the canoe and then I painted it yellow. I don't believe you. Okay, so it was never on the side of the canoe. <laughs> but I did paint it yellow. I had some leftover paint after painting a Volkswagen Beetle. And uh, so I painted the canoe yellow. And I thought if it's a tippy canoe, it should be bright yellow because that way they could find my corpse and the canoe. Usually they're not together. Well, they might be close together Little within wing. a, you know, they, they'd know it was the same lake if it was a lake. Sure. Anyway, so 
um, Kanuga gets convicted. Yeah, and it all comes down to the definition of a wessel. And when I think of the word wessel, wessel because uh, in uh, Star Trek, in the episode where they go back to, in the, in not the episode, the film, um, where they've got Spock and now they're going back to Earth and they find out that Earth is being destroyed because the whales had been uh, made extinct in the 20th century and they have to go back in time, bring some whales. whales. No, um, Mr. Chekhov is in uh, San Francisco and he's trying to get to a nuclear vessel and he's asking on the street, where are the nuclear vessels? I need to find a nuclear vessel. Can you tell me where Alameda is in the nuclear vessel? And of course, this is during the Cold War, this film. And, right. uh, and I was like, you know, I can tell them where that is. I've yeah, been but there. you're, you're Russians asking Probably where the like nuclear vessels are. Nuclearized now. We should we should find that clip. Did you find it? Yes, under U.S. government. Now we need directions. Excuse me, sir. Can you direct me to the naval base in Alameda? It's where they keep the nuclear vessels. Nuclear vessels. Oh, excuse me. Uh, we are looking for nuclear vessels. We're, we're looking for nuke. Hello. We are looking for the nuclear vessels in Alameda. Could you tell me where? Can you, you help us? Please. We're looking for the naval base in Alameda. Could you tell me where the nuclear vessels are? Ooh, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think it's across the bay in Alameda. That's what I said. Alameda. Alameda. Anyway, okay, so let's just call it a vessel because this is a serious law podcast. But you Paul. think about a vessel, there's all sorts of different things that are a vessel. Like a well, vessel has got scientific... That's, and so, that's the issue, right? Like the judge had to decide... It's ridiculous. ...whether broad. a canoe is a vessel. And... You think of a vessel, you, you think of yeah. a big ship. Like, yeah, I know. So is that a vessel? No, it's just my dinghy. But a dinghy is a vessel. Well, according to the judgment... So the, um, the judge went through and looked at various different interpretations of how you could come at this, um, looked at various different pieces of legislation. And of course, in the criminal code, it says vessel, um, but it's not defined in the criminal code what a vessel is. And ultimately came to the conclusion that... That the, the, the definition intended by parliament was the same definition as used in the Canada Shipping Act. So... What this comes down to is basically, if it floats, you're connected to it and you're using your muscles to control it in some manner or another, it's a vessel. That means that pretty much anything is a vessel. Like if you put floaties on your arms. You may be wearing a vessel. Well, there was an article in the National Post where he talked about talked about uh, the pool noodle, pool noodle in the lake. But this isn't an absurd example. This was actually one of the things the judge was asked to grapple with in the trial was, well, what about a person who's using a pool noodle? Well, and that's where the the decision fell apart in my mind because I was reading it and I, you know, I'm sort of bought into it. I thought, okay, well, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what they intended. And, you know, but then I started thinking about all of these stupid other possibilities. Like you're sitting in the middle of the canoe. You're not controlling the canoe. Um, suddenly you have to pick up an oar because you're going, you know, you have to assist. Necessity and, defense. N- n- well, maybe it's not a life and death necessity. Maybe it's a, you know, a, um, you know, speed things up necessity and you start assisting and paddling and you're over 80 milligrams. Now you're, you know, 
committing an offense. Yeah, but you could also have like... Or you're 80 milligrams after. <laughs> you could have four people in the canoe, one each with an oar, and all of them could be over 80 or impaired or have an elevated THC concentration above two and a half nanograms per milliliter, and all of them would be guilty of an offense. So in... Don't smoke weed in your canoe. So the... Uh... Yeah, that's ridiculous. It, you should be like, you should be entitled to smoke weed in your canoe, especially this summer. How is canoeing even fun if you're not high? <laughs> yeah, I've never, I, you know, I've done a lot of canoeing. As I say, I have a canoe, um, a tippy canoe, but the, uh, tippy the canoe, I'm not, canoe. exactly. But the, um, I've never found it that pleasurable. Like I'm usually doing it just sort of because it's a thing that I'm doing with other people. I'm going to take them out in the tippiest canoe and see if we can all die together. Um, no, I, I would imagine it's probably more fun if you are high. Um, I'm not encouraging that now because, of course, you'd be committing the offense. Unless so, you do it in your pool in your backyard. That was the basically the exception. Which makes no sense. Well, you got to, you know, people need to have bigger backyards in Canada and I guess larger pools. Don't they say that Canada is your backyard? Well, not when it comes to this. So the pool noodle, the rubber dinghy, you're floating down one of those lovely... Um, Inflatable rubs. Lovely, yeah, in, in one of those big inner tube type things on one of those lovely uh, rivers running out of Duncan or something like that. You've been drinking all day, you walk well, up, you, you they, get like, back give you in. you booze to drink on those things. I know. And uh, now you are... Um, if guilty. you're, if you get to 80 milligrams, you're, you're not guilty, but you're, you're facing the charge. And so guilty. then at that part of the decision though, that's where it started to get weird. Cause the judge was like defining vessel and looking at, you know, dictionary definitions and then definitions and other piece of legislation and then parliamentary intent. And then ultimately gets to, it would be up to the police to decide whether or not you were in care and control. See, it would be up to the police to decide. Actually, and I know you're talking about you. I know your view of it. Well, I disagree with you that that's where it falls apart, but tell me, tell me your thoughts. Well, your, th your idea is that it's up to, to the police to decide whether or not to lay a charge and then the court to decide whether or not the person is guilty. The way it reads in the decision is it's basically the judge is deferring to the police decision. The judge is, I'm going to make this, uh, finding that a, a, uh, canoe is a vessel for the purpose of the criminal code impaired driving provisions. And now after that, it's up to the police to decide whether or not the person's. I don't read it that way because first of all, a court could not defer to the discretion of a police officer insofar as an issue of statutory interpretation. Well, of course not. But I'm just saying, I think that the, the court went beyond what they should have said in that judgment at that point. That should have just been left alone. I think maybe and, what the judge was trying to do, if incredibly inelegantly was say the police are going to have to import some common sense into this if somebody's floating along with a pool noodle kicking on a lake and they're drunk is it really worth the effort of going through the investigation and charging them and bringing them to court and putting through them through the rigmarole of a prosecution and is it worth the court time you just said two words that often don't go together which are? Police and common sense. There's lots of police officers. That's three words, Paul. Two ideas. <laughs> um, I said, I think of common sense as one word. It's a hyphenated compound. It's not um, hyphenated. The, um, it is in my world. Well, that's not a common sense world. Um, if it's a common sense proposition, it's hyphenated. No. 
common sense, common hyphen sense proposition? No? I don't know. I need to see it. My point is that there are police officers, you know and I know, who are not really connected to common sense. Most of them are. Most of them are lovely. There are some. Thankfully. You know, if you're a police officer there listening to this, look around the room. (laughs) Thankfully, in British Columbia, we have Crown-laid informations. And most of the Crown are common sense. But again, if you're listening to this in your Crown Council office... You know, and you're thinking, think, oh, think yeah, around the I can't office. wait to approve a charge against a guy with <laughs> well, a blue no, bill. no, I mean, you, you know, not every prosecutor is uses the same degree of common sense as others. I to mean, be honest, like, I most kind of... Most of them are pretty amazing. But... I kind of dare them to approve the pool noodle charge. I know you do. I know you do. it's hilarious. Well, the thing is, I mean, you can think of circumstances, maybe not the pool noodle, but I can think of, you know, applying the canoe. I, I, I mean, it's up to the government to decide if they wanted to legislate a canoe um, to be a vessel for the purpose of this, and that is what the court has interpreted the government's decision to be. If the government feels differently, they can legislate differently but the um, I mean that's the answer I always give when I make arguments about why statutes should be interpreted my way if the government don't like it they wrote it they can rewrite it well that's the thing like they could literally just change the definition of vessel to like specifically indicate in the criminal code motor powered vessel including a canoe yeah I know excluding any vessels propelled by human human power because the ultimate absurdity of this that it comes down to for me is that you can't get an impaired on a bicycle. You can get one on a canoe. Yeah. And And you could be on a bicycle built for two and you could be the one steering. Yeah. You can't get an impaired. And thank goodness. I mean, I want to encourage people. I want to, yeah, I know you're more likely to kill yourself, but thank goodness that you can ride a bike drunk because there are some people who are well you can't ride a bike drunk in british columbia well yeah, you're probably not going to get in trouble but yes of course i know that um but thank goodness you can't be criminally charged can't be criminally charged because the reality is there's t- people who are just chronic alcoholics i never want them behind the wheel of a car they still have to have the freedom to get around Hopefully they're, you know, sober enough that they can <laughs> operate their bike, but they're not driving like 3,000 so, pounds of steel and glass. So grossly impaired, you can't like pedal. Oh, I was, I actually very drunkenly attempted to ride my bike and I don't know how I got home. I'm my first real drunk. I had my bike and I don't know how I got home. I was probably it, drunk. I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened to my bike. Loading it I, up in the car. I don't know what happened to my bike. Yeah, Jason, if you're listening to the podcast this week, maybe you can let me know what, if you recall, Jason and Harold. Yeah. Um, no, but it, I mean, that's, that's the absurdity for me. A bike and a canoe are basically the same thing. You take, you take a canoe, it's like a bike for the water. It's a water bike. Yeah. In fact, those water tricycle things that people go and ride in lakes. You can't use one of those. Because it's a vessel. In the water. But if you were riding it on the land, you would not be violating any criminal code provisions. How absurd is that? But that's a bike on the land. But yes, you're right. But I'm just, are they amphibious? Are they bikes that that you can ride on the land and then ride onto the water? So like my grandparents lived across from Elk Lake. And I would always see in the summer these people that would rent from the little Elk Lake shop that doesn't exist anymore. These giant wheeled 
big plastic tricycles and you could pedal them on the land but you could also pedal them in the water and they had like big ridges on the wheels so they would like paddle in the water okay, yeah so they were amphibious yeah but on you're the land fine as you're soon not as you hit the water criminal offense hit and the on water. the water yeah. you are hmm like how does it make any sense for anything that's propelled by human power that is amphibious to be against the law on the land. And, and somebody actually asked this on Twitter, and I want that's why I wanted to address this. What happens if you're portaging a canoe and you're drunk? You're in well, carrying control of a vessel. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you are carrying control of a vessel. But you're not on a waterway. Well, you're also not on a road or highway. No, but if you were driving your ATV wasted through a forest trail, well, you would you get, can also, you could get You can also paired. portage with your canoe. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be a canoe, kayak. Okay, so you're sure. in your kayak, you're drunk, you pick up your kayak. Yeah. Are you now committing an offense? Um, Where do you draw the line? Is it not a vessel because it's not on the water? That makes no sense. So you're, you're in your kayak, you sail back to the Jericho uh, Yacht Club, mm-hmm. you pound back some beers there, mm-hmm. and then you... Put your kayak on its little trailer that you whoa, walk whoa, home whoa. with. You, you can't walk pound home. back the beers there because within two hours of the time of. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. But no, you, you've got your kayak on your little little cart and you walk back to your Kitsilano house pulling your kayak as mm-hmm. you do. You know, people do it all the time. Um, so you're committing the offense, I guess, of care and control of that vessel. Yeah, you are controlling where that vessel's going. Yeah. You're so, exercising care over it. So move but it, because moving you're your kayak. Not on a waterway? Moving your kayak. No, but you're you're uh you're on a road. Yeah. Road or highway. Yeah. I mean, if you're driving a speedboat down the highway, <laughs> you'd probably get an impaired. You have trouble doing that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, pulling your kayak on a trailer, the walking trailer. Mm-hmm. Pulling your there's lots of people who pull them behind their bike. Yeah. You've got care and control of a vessel. Yeah. You're on a road or highway. So if you're riding your bike, you're okay probably, except in BC for other reasons that Kyla will explain on a later date. But if you're riding your bike and pulling your kayak, now we've just thought of the most absurd. And yet um, completely unlawful according to this decision decision. set of facts, portaging your canoe through the forest. It's stupid. This is a stupid... I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say this, but it's a stupid judgment because the application of the legal principles that have been decided in this leads to absurd results. I wouldn't say that it's a stupid judgment. I, I It fell apart for me when we got to the third person in the canoe. Um, the I didn't think that it was a clear enough intention of Parliament because they no. chose a, they could have said any a, a boat, I remember you're dealing with a beyond a reasonable doubt standard on a criminal statute where the burden of proof is on the crown. So from the principles of statutory interpretation in that context, ambiguity needs to be construed in favor of the accused, oh, Kyla, not in favor of talking, the crown. You're talking about the old days. That doesn't, they don't seem to do that anymore. But that's what the law says. <laughs> well, I know, but it doesn't seem that it does that. It just seems to me that the law doesn't seem is to be applied that way ambiguous. anymore. Well, it's the way it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I was in law school. Now it seems it has gone the other way where the legislation is just interpreted in favor of the government most of the time. Well, anyway, I would encourage the canoe person to appeal. I don't think they will. 
No, it'll have to be another canoe case in another province. Yeah, I mean, we can definitely uh, litigate it in a different province because the judgment would be persuasive yet not binding. So hopefully... Somebody else gets a canoeing well impaired. Well, not a canoeing well impaired. Maybe they will be lucky and they'll get a pulling their their kayak on their bike well impaired. Yeah. What Uh, happens if you have your inflatable boat in your backpack? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is it only a vessel once it's inflated? I don't know. Yeah. These are these are the big burning questions. Yeah, isn't it exciting? Driving law, the exciting driving world of, law. Well, carrying your pool noodle. Oh, yeah. Carrying your pool <laughs> pool noodle drunk. It's... On a, uh, well, crossing the road with your pool noodle drunk. Yeah. You've you've got care and control of a vessel. Yep. It's awful. It's horrible. It's um, going to lead to absurdities and unfortunately. So it'll only be in the absurd case that they go the other way, though. You watch. No. You're much more optimistic than I am. I am optimistic. But you're the one who does the appeals in the office, you and Brandon. I know. Um, I'm just a, I'm just a provincial court, court lawyer, doing my best, <laughs> fighting in the trenches. Speaking of fighting in the trenches, here's a case you're going to want to fight in the trenches. Today I read a story on Global, like, Kelowna. And it was about a man whose Ferrari was impounded because he was traveling at 200 kilometers an hour on Highway 97C. And the police officers are just like hanging out on the side of the road as they do. That's like third gear in a Ferrari. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have never driven a Ferrari, so I wouldn't know. Um, Anyway, they're hanging out on the side of the road as they do. They didn't really expect to be seeing um a a vehicle doing that and so they scrambled and got the laser that they had with them and pulled it out and took a reading getting 200 kilometers an hour at a distance of 56.9 meters so a precisely 200 kilometers an hour Mm -hmm. first of all i say no um 56 meters away at traveling at you at 200 kilometers an hour. Why were they letting it get that close? Well, why wouldn't they start waving the guy in and just if give he, him an excessive on yeah, the basis I mean, of that? at that point, you yeah. can visually estimate. I think so, yeah. I think I can tell at 200 kilometers an hour that it's more than 40 over. Yeah, even if you just decide that you're going to go simple speeding or give him an excessive and then let him fight it out. Let him fight it and plead, yeah. Um... Anyway, so they, they, at 56 meters, when they finally get their speed reading, there's no time for them to get in the car. Of course not. It's 56 meters at 200 kilometers an hour. That's... They blink and (laughs) the cars pass them. Yeah. So they use their police radios and they radio ahead to a member in West Kelowna who stops a vehicle where 97C meets 97. So they're near Penasque Creek on Highway 97C and it takes until where Highway 97 and 97C intersect Okay. for a different officer from a different place to stop the vehicle. And what I really want to know is why they ticketed the guy as driver. Well, I know why they ticketed the guy as driver. Why? You know why. I mean, don't... They believe that he's the driver. The problem that they will have is proving that he's the driver. How do they know that he didn't switch with somebody else or stop or... Let someone else out. Let somebody else. Yeah, it was a good passenger uh, letting your friend try out your Ferrari. 
Did they actually get the license plate with it whipping by them at 200 kilometers an hour when they're desperately trying to get their laser and get it at the last 56 meters? There's a lot of meters? Ferraris. There's a, you know, the more Ferraris were sold out of the Vancouver uh, Ferrari dealership in the last five years than any other dealership in the world. Yeah. There are a lot of Ferraris in BC. And you're at the junction of two highways, so you could have a Ferrari coming from a different highway. It's Ferraris everywhere. Littered. The streets are littered with Ferraris. I'm being serious. I'm being serious too. Oh, well, you People in the that. rest of British Columbia should know. Uh, by the way, the lower mainland, the streets are littered with Ferraris. You're I think we talked cool. about money laundering cars. Uh, yeah. um, anyway, so this guy gets an excessive speeding ticket and uh, the three points. And I think he should dispute it. I think he should dispute it too, because I, I don't know how they're going to prove that he was the driver at the earlier occasion. Well, how they're going to prove the driver, but also... But I also have questions about the reliability of the of the um, reading that they got with their laser. Exactly, because as you and Grant talked about a little while ago, one of the things that you absolutely have to have if you're going to rely on your speed measurement is tracking history. Exactly. And if you are like... Um, hey man, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I don't know. We're going to have a barbecue with the kids. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. You know, and grab your laser and 56 meters away, last possible second, you're like, oh, 200 or... or I don't even know how you targeted at that. No. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how you targeted at that. How are you supposed that? to like, you know, you aim for the front license plate. Half the Ferraris that are driving around don't even have a front license plate. Yeah, or it's stuck underneath the cowling in the front. Yeah. So uh, to me, this is, uh, this is crazy. Um, I can't believe that they did this. And then they go on Twitter and brag about it. And I think if you're going to brag about impounding the supercar, make sure you did it in circumstances that are not suspect. There was, there was two that were, uh, Constable Christensen. And, Sergeant <laughs> Christensen. Sar Sergeant. And yes, he's a, um, member of the Order of Merit too. Well, that doesn't surprise me. He's a smart guy. He's, he's, he's an fine. He's an impressive guy. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he got two he... supercars, a McLaren and a Dodge Challenger this week. And that was, was on Twitter. And it was re him. There were like eight of the Oh, no, I know. But he's there. the one who, he's the one who posted it on Twitter. He's become sort of a, uh, uh, a, a one man uh, mockery of people in supercars that they pull over kind of guy, <laughs> which is funny. Um Yep. Yeah. He's not so, a fun guy to have a trial with. Oh, we had great fun in the last trial we had. Oh, you had fun. Yeah. He had fun too. He was enjoying it. Oh, probably. <laughs> the JP was enjoying it. Everyone was enjoying it. Sometimes it is fun. Yeah. I mean, a good legal issue, if you're into that, is fun for everybody when you have like a really interesting case to argue. I prefer the officers who don't find it fun. I like the officers who look at it and think, oh, I don't really want to be doing this today. Yeah, well, you know, it's, everything is different. Um, anyway, uh, that leads me into our ridiculous driver of the week, which is actually the ridiculous... That could be the same one. Ridiculous driver of last week. The Ferrari driver could be the ridiculous driver of the week. No, because we had so many requests for this one. Did we? Yes, the man who bought the McLaren. Oh. And then 10 minutes later lost the McLaren. Yeah, that was uh, pretty funny. Yeah, so, so 
You tell it. Well, I mean, he bought it from the McLaren dealership. It was, he'd literally been driving it for 10 minutes when he was pulled over, given an excessive speeding ticket and had it impounded. So no kilometers on it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the speed was now. Um, and he... Like 170 something. And it was sort of a direct, a direct route he took straight from, like he didn't drive around the block three times or anything. He just drove from the dealership and... Right over the line. And I, I mean, I was joking about it because I thought, well, 10 minutes, you know, that's, I don't know that that's the record for Vancouver for a supercar getting pulled over after purchasing it, you know, um, it's probably down to seven. Maybe if you could get it in the, like the block right in front of the dealership, that might be the record, but. Oh, now you're taunting Sergeant Christensen. <laughs> <laughs> He's already on the Granville Bridge. <laughs> Right now, yeah, well, that he could get them there he on the Granville Bridge. Yeah, right yeah, you probably need to be on the Burrard Bridge because that's yeah. where most of those supercar places are. Um, but yeah, he was on uh, where he was on the North Shore. I think he was on the Lionsgate. Oh, okay, yeah, it was West Van PD that got him. That got him and impounded his McLaren ten minutes later. So, if you buy a really overpriced car, you should probably. Drive it slowly for the first 15 minutes. Well, here's the thing about buying any one of those cars. You can only drive the speed limit in British Columbia, folks. Even if you buy one of those cars, you can only drive the speed limit. Well, you and, can drive faster, you just lose your car. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, there's, there's no roads in British Columbia where you can drive faster than 120 kilometers an hour lawfully. Um, and uh, you might be able to go 130 even 132 without getting pulled over on those highways. Um, but um, beyond that, you've bought a uh, 280 kilometer an hour top end or 330 kilometer an hour top end car. And there's nowhere you can drive at that speed. Yeah. So, which does seem to speak to a market for a track. You know, they've there got are the, tracks. There's the Nuremberg Ring in, in Bavaria. You no, can there's go tracks on. here. Are there any tracks where you can go and take it up like There's that? Is there? Poco, I think. Yeah, it's not a. That's just like just a oval. I think it's not some windy mountain thing. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know about tracks or driving cars really fast. Not my bag. The um, I, I'm just amazed, and it I it I find it disturbing that we have a public insurance company and that we insure those cars. You know, I just feel that those. The, the liberals talked about it years ago, two, three years ago, no longer selling insurance for those cars, just letting it go to the But they did increase the insurance. They never, yeah, but they never, they never followed through on that one. Didn't it's they? funny. No, no, they never followed through on that. Huh. Um, I don't know why. I think they just decided that it was too much of a pain in the ass. Of course, they planned on privatizing ICBC when they were reelected and they weren't reelected, so. Right, fair enough. Maybe they were just waiting for that. Speaking of things governments did... One of the things that happened when Bill C-46 came into force and effect is there was all these new roles that people could be designated as analysts or qualified technicians or things. And a very interesting thing happened recently. You think this is boring. You didn't want to talk about it. But I think it's, I think it's a driving law topic. What's well, a driving law topic? I just, you know... For the layperson listening to us, they won't find it that interesting. So for let, the let's explain it. Go ahead. So for somebody to approve a bottle of alcohol solution or a canister of alcohol gas that's used to check the calibration of any breath testing equipment, the person who's approving that as suitable for use with the equipment 
has to be designated as an analyst. And people who are doing uh, the analysis of your blood samples that they take from you in an impaired driving investigation or your urine samples have to be designated as a qualified technician um, and analyst, qualified analyst. Um, and they're designated not federally, but provincially. Designated by the Attorney General of British Columbia. Yes. So when C-46 came in, there were all sorts of references to analysts that... In, in the territories, they're... They're designated by the... AGC. Exactly. Yes. Federal government. So there were all these references to analysts that didn't exist previously. And some people took the view that that would require new designations. The Bill C-46 actually contains a provision that says that if you were designated before, then you're still designated and nothing about this bill changes your ongoing nature of your designation. But I guess that portion of the bill never made its way to the British Columbia government. Well, I think they looked at it and thought that that maybe they better cover their ass by sure. redesignating some people. And why not? I think they were concerned about the... I mean, we've already seen problems with the application of the legislation. Mm -hmm. um, we've already seen circumstances where things have fallen as a result of the government not thinking about how it applies to things that are already in the pipeline. Yes. We don't talk about pipelines on this show generally, but yes. So the Attorney General is supposed to issue basically an order um, designating these people. It's like a ministerial order type thing. Um, and you could find it in the BC Gazette if you really wanted. They're, they're published. Yeah. Um, but despite the fact that they wanted to do that, they didn't quite do it. Well, it doesn't look like they did it correctly. Um, no. The version that's been sent to you, you who gave this to you, Rob Shaw. Yeah, well, thanks Rob Shaw for pointing this out. Um, so June 27th, right before they closed up shop for the summer, um, Mike Farnworth, who is uh, the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General, who was on the podcast right at the beginning of the year. Doesn't listen to the podcast, but he was on Does not listen it. to podcasts, period. But he did come on this podcast, which was very kind of him. Um, issued a ministerial order, number M228, um, uh, ordering that pursuant to the criminal code, section 320.4, the forensic specialists and forensic technologists employed by the RCMP lab are designated as persons qualified to analyze samples of bodily samples and are designated as persons qualified to certify that an alcohol standard is suitable for use with an approved instrument. The wrong guy. Wrong guy. Wrong podcast guest. <laughs> yeah. Should have been David Eby. Well, maybe there's something in there that allows it. I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked that closely at who can do it. I know historically it's always only ever been the Attorney General. All the certificates say designated by the Attorney General of British Columbia. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it seems that it was just a mistake. And Does this designation invalidate prior designations? Well, that's a good argument. <laughs> like, what, what okay. is the legal effect of designating them as the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General? Does it invalidate any designation the EG granted? I, I don't see how that could be. But if it is intended as a replacement, and it's defective, 
a defective designation, they could have a problem with that. Yeah, especially if it's intended as a replacement because the law changed. It appears to be a very specific act on the part of government with a specific intention. I think there's an arguable issue here that these people could no longer be appropriately designated under the code. Somebody contacted me recently and was looking at a piece of legislation and was sure that the legislation that the other person was quoting to them had been had been replaced by new legislation. And I looked at it and, wow, there's a whole new piece of legislation that seemed to have replaced that piece of legislation. And I thought, wow, okay, maybe, you know, this person's really onto something here. And, yeah, they're coming at it from the wrong way. Uh, and then I looked a little further and I realized, oh, this was enacted, but it's only ever going to come into force and effect by virtue of uh, or a, uh, an order from the lieutenant governor signing it into force and effect. Yeah. And it, it was one of those times where you're think, thinking to yourself, oh, well, it's good that I'm a lawyer because I actually <laughs> worked that out. Um, and every once in a while I see something like this and I start digging and I realize, oh, actually, you know, they... They thought it out, or sometimes I find out that they didn't. Yeah, but this to me seems like a situation where they didn't think it out. Because if you don't have the power under the code to designate those people, for what purpose would it be that the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General is granting a designation pursuant to a section of the code. See, what I don't get is most of those things are just, they've got a precedent in their computer. They they print it out, they've got the Word document, and they all have the Attorney General on there, and they would have to actually go in there and type it and change it. And they've got people in the government who are supposed to know these things. And maybe, you know, you forget, or that the, the information is lost because a generation of people have retired. It's been a long time since they had to do this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's that, maybe it has something to do with changes that are coming to the Motor Vehicle Act. Could That's be. the only reason I could see why he would be doing this. Yeah, it could be for that. There could be a reason. There could be a reason. I'm not just automatically on your bandwagon of this is, this is wrong. No, but you should get on my bandwagon of this gives us an arguable thing to challenge... We have lots of arguable things. You've got, oh, you have so many things in the, <laughs> you, you have so many petitions filed out there, Kyla, and so many appeals with so many different issues and things. Doing a judicial review tomorrow. Good. Yeah. Have fun with that. I will. Okay. You had one final thing you wanted to talk about. Did I? I forget. It was the issue in Edmonton with them being this like weird little microcosm of increases supposedly in impaired driving so the cannabis impaired driving so there's been nowhere in the country have we seen a spike of any sort in cannabis impaired driving and there's been police officers have been uh trained but i think in certainly in british columbia i don't think anybody's been running around going oh we've got to find it the sky is falling we've got to find the cannabis impaired drivers but in edmonton for some reason they're finding all these cannabis-impaired drivers, and, you know, the the only thing that comes to mind, to my mind, is that they are, are wearing cannabis-impaired driver glasses, and that's all they see now. Yeah. Oh, well, you must be on weed. Yeah. You, that guy's got to be on weed. Look at him. He's a little weird. He's got to be on weed. Look, we learned. Weed. Green tongue. Yeah, green tongue. 
real thing. Um, it's not a real thing. It's, it's something that thing. police real officers are trained. really trained to look yeah. for. It's yeah. a green yeah, tongue. That's what I meant. I don't think a green tongue is a real thing. Except that one time that I had that edible lollipop that was green. Different thing. Yeah. yeah. Then I had a green tongue and I was high. <laughs> Different situation. Maybe they should be looking for people with a green tongue. I would not have driven after anyway, that. Anyway, so I just think it's a I just think it's a purely an issue of, you know, so desperate to find it that they're out there picking oh, people yeah. and I bet it's tunnel vision. It's absolute tunnel vision. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's cannabis impaired driver blinders. Um, and, uh, probably all of those people are going to end up going to court and, and being acquitted. Yeah. Because if there was a legitimate increase, you would see it in places other than Edmonton, particularly when the data came out today that said that the province of British Columbia, surprise, surprise, consumes far more weed than anywhere else in Canada. Good for BC. Yeah, well, I was also like, really? It, like, that's news. It's springtime, <laughs> and I've been traveling around BC again, and I just think, oh, I love this province. That's because you're breathing in all that secondhand cannabis smoke, and could it's just be. relaxing you a little bit. Could be. It's funny, when you walk down the street and you smell cannabis smoke, you know, you used to always be sort of looking around, and I never really liked the smell, and I don't know, I feel more tolerant about it now. Really? I, I was walking with my parents. Um, this was in Seattle, but still. Um, and there was a strong smell of cannabis smoke and they were like, oh God, that's what it's like now that it's legal. It's like, seriously? Like that was there all the time before. Not, yeah. But it's not so bad. It's not like, it's not no. nearly as repulsive as cigarette smoke. No, it's And not it never seems to last and... very long. Yeah. When I smell, I can smell people smoking in the car ahead of me. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, somebody's walking across the street smoking. I turn off my heater because I know it pulls it in and I can smell it. Cannabis smell comes from the guy smoking in the car in front of me. Usually it's not so bad, you know, it dissipates very quickly and it's not as irritating. irritating. Yeah. Probably not supposed to be smoking in the car in front of me. But we would have seen, no, not illegal. Um, we would have seen an increase in cannabis impaired driving at least one other place in Canada if there was an actual legitimate spike and not a, a, a False spike due to police training. Yeah, you'd think Fort McMurray, Calgary, uh, Kelowna, Regina, Kamloops, Saskatoon. You know. Anywhere that has like an actual open store. Yeah. So I don't, I just don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. I just think that uh, the Edmonton police are, you know, it, 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 there's somebody there pushing it. Someone's up to something. Somebody's been training them and telling them that they've got to go find them because they're out there and they're all over the road. And, you, you know, maybe they've got quotas. Maybe they've got not written down quotas, but they've got expectations. Targets. Targets. Yeah. So uh, if you're driving in Edmonton, be careful if you've used cannabis because you uh, could be the subject of an investigation. And if you get a cannabis impaired driving charge, rare though they are in the call rest Ky of Canada, Call Kyla Lee. Call me. Uh, or call Paul or go call Acumen at 604-685-8889. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Nuclear vessels.